There we go. We are rolling. Welcome, everybody, to Logical and Right. That is Right with a W, as in Wright County. Uh, we are here for episode number five with, I would call him, local celebrity, Walter Hudson. Uh, we're just going to chat about him running for state rep uh, and then you know, various other things that come up along the way. So without further ado, as usual, I'm not going to hog the mic and I'm going to hand it over to him. Walter, take it away. Well, how you doing, Dan? Good. It's, uh, I, I appreciate the invite to your humble abode and uh, being able to chat with you and the listeners about what's going on here in Wright County and in the state of Minnesota. Um, yeah, there's, uh, I don't know what all direction you want to take things, but wherever um, you want to go, I, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about who I am and why I'm running for state representative. Perfect. My name is Walter Hudson. I'm a current city council member in Albertville. I have been for a consecutive seven years. And, uh, prior to that, I, well, prior to, and throughout that time, I've been an activist and a political commentator. Um, you and I, before we got started here, we were talking about Victor Davis Hanson. I can technically claim him as a colleague because I used to contribute to PJ Media, oh, and he, sure, he did sure. as well. I believe he still writes with them. Um, and so huh. I wrote for PJ Media. Awesome. I worked with the David Horwitz Freedom Center as an associate editor for one of their websites. And I had a radio show on Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, for a couple of years, um, pre-COVID. <laughs> and boy, I wish I would have had it during COVID because there were a lot of things that needed to be said. And they got said by plenty of folks. But um, that really is getting into why I'm running. That really is the catalyst is what we saw happen over the course of those two years, you know, 2020, 2021. Um, Tim Walls, our governor took unilateral dictatorial control. And when I say dictatorial, that is that is not a piece of political rhetoric. The dictionary definition of the word dictator is the, the assumption of total control of government, often justified by emergency. Mm -hmm. Like, you can mm -hmm. go look it up. Yeah, He took dictatorial control of six million people's lives, men, women, and children, told us that we couldn't work, we couldn't open our businesses. We couldn't send our kids to school. We couldn't go to church. And he did it by himself. It was not an act of the legislature. It was not something we communally agreed to. It was not an exercise in democracy. It was a, a king's decree. Are his emergency powers still in place? I know, how, how long did they go on? They went on for an obnoxious amount of time. So there's a little bit of semantics that gets played with this topic. The fact of the matter is the emergency came to an end. The emergency that he declared. His powers are eternal because the law has not been changed, right? So his ability, he could go tomorrow, as we speak, he could be declaring another emergency and just reclaim all of that power. And the only thing that could be done, the legislature can override it, but because it's currently in the control of his party, mm -hmm. um, at least the House is, mm -hmm. they won't 
go against their governor. That that was though. I mean, every month. I mean, I, I remember listening to Garage Logic quite a bit throughout the whole throughout twenty and twenty one, and still do. But uh, every every month he would wouldn't they vote on to renew his powers or his emergency power status? Or maybe I'm yeah. I I'm not familiar with all the technicalities of the law or the process, but I do know that there were several votes that were taken. Um, or, or not taken, as the case may be, mm-hmm. wherein the legislature could have intervened and uh, put his emergency powers to an end. They chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, our friends in the Senate, the Republican-controlled Senate, did everything that they could, but you need both houses. You need yeah. both chambers of the legislature in order sure. to, to make that happen. Um, and so the the real issue here is that Democrats who... I mean, it's right there in their name, right? They make a big show of their support of democracy. And, it, <laughs> and it's at the forefront of every piece of rhetoric and talking point and message that they put out. The people, democracy, our voice, standing up, taking to the streets, yada, yada. They pretend to care about what the people want. Yet when you look at what they actually do and how they actually govern, they do everything they can to exclude the people from a meaningful decision-making process, up to and including putting one man in charge of literally everyone and everything, which is what happened under COVID. Mm -hmm. And so witnessing that and the frustration of being elected, being in city council and you know, I, I brought forward a, a resolution, a proposed resolution that was basically, it was basically a go to hell walls resolution. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, that just explicitly said, we're not doing this in Albertville. We're not going to commit any city resources to helping you in any way enforce your unconstitutional edicts um, and go to hell walls. I mean, we didn't say it that explicitly, but right, right <laughs> up to that line. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and it didn't didn't get passed, didn't even get a second. And the concern that was expressed was, well, we don't want to... First of all, we don't have the authority as a council to inject ourselves into state policy, which I think is bunk. Um, I love that word. Of, of course we do. Of course we have authority. You and I, as individuals, have authority over our lives as individuals. Mm-hmm. That's where all these other levels of government, all the way up to the federal, that's where they derive their power from our authority as individuals over our lives, which we own. And so don't tell me we don't have the authority. Okay, we do, number one. The second argument was, well, if we do this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to tick off the governor, and that might have an impact on our ability to get money for a bridge or whatever you know a a new highway um, water treatment plant whatever the case may be which would also be very dictatorish to say you've gone against me therefore i'm not going to give you money for something your city needs what you're telling me by making that argument that is a that is a diagnosis of a problem Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're if you're sitting here taking into consideration whether or not you're going to be able to have your roads funded because you stood up to tyranny, then there is something inherently wrong with the system. That should not have to be something you take into consideration. So one of the things I would like to do, and you know, first time legislator, regular guy, 
I haven't, I'm not a lawyer. I haven't dived into all of the statute. But in terms of casting a vision, what I would like to do is I would, I would like to reform the way public projects are funded to make it as objective as possible and as needs-based as possible to where instead of having to go, going down to the legislature and lobbying for your town to get the road or the bridge or whatever it is, it's determined by an objective criteria. We've got this much traffic going to this place. Therefore, we need this kind of a road, right? Like it should, mm -hmm. you should be able to come up with some objective measure that determines how the funding should be allocated that takes the politics out of it mm -hmm. as much as possible. You're not mm -hmm. going to extract it all, right? Sure, There's always going to sure. be some degree of politics. But this idea that people have to, ch have to ch uh, censor themselves. Well, I don't know if I should stand up for my rights. I don't know if I should stand up for my neighbor. I don't know if I should say that this is this is wrong, even though I know it is. Because if I do, then I might not be able to drive to work. I, I might not be able to uh, have water in my community because my governor might take revenge on me for standing up for myself. That is not a, an environment in which Minnesotans ought to be living. No, that's terrifying. <laughs> and it's our current environment. I mean, it literally just happened. The story I'm telling you is an example of that happening, of a community, because, and they can speak for themselves, but the sense I got is that the council agreed with the sentiment that I was articulating, mm -hmm. which is, this is wrong, it shouldn't be happening, you're encroaching on people's rights, it's unconstitutional. But they didn't want to take the action of publicly declaring that for fear of retaliation from the very governor who was doing it. That's insane. Yep. Yes, it is. And it's, look, it's their, their, I understand their position, but what I'm saying is that the environment in which that fosters that reaction is insane. Mm -hmm. And so we need to change it. Um, so that's one of, that's probably the top level thing that I'm interested in is government reform, mm -hmm. reforming how the process works, reforming. Uh, how legislation comes into being. Um, and there's a lot of great conversations happening behind the scenes with current members and prospective candidates who are expected to win, such as myself, um, about how to proceed with that, how to, when we get control next year, um, how to categorically and fundamentally change the way the legislative process works so that we actually get more public deliberation and debate on single subject bills uh, and we take a look at the bureaucracy and the administrative state the swamp mm -hmm. right and do what we can to, to give it an enema clean it out mm -hmm. <laughs> and really reconnect the people with the institutions that are supposed to serve them because currently it's simply not the case mm -hmm. um where would you like to go next let's talk about uh since since it is called logical and right and we're dealing with Wright county let's talk about the high profile incident that just took place in saint michael a few days ago earlier this week yeah, absolutely. I was coming home from work um, from where we're at now in Buffalo um, to my home in Albertville. And of course, you have to drive through St. Michael to do that. Oh, yeah. And noticed that the, the thoroughfare there on 
Main Street was, mm-hmm. <laughs> or on Central, was uh, blocked off, which was odd because, you know, at, at first glance, it looks like parade prep, right? But I, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, but I know there isn't a parade, yep, so yep. <laughs> what's going on here? Get home, get a, get a text from my mayor later in the evening with the news. You know, there's an active shooter scenario, um, ongoing standoff with police. And I got to tell you, going to bed with your kids uh, in the other room, knowing that there's an active shooter ongoing standoff situation with police a couple of miles up the road yep. is an interesting experience. Um, and But many of us went through that. Our entire community went through that mm-hmm. over there on the on the northeastern side of, mm-hmm. of the county. Uh, it was eventually resolved. It was resolved in what is, by all accounts, the, the best possible way. Like, nobody was killed. Mm-hmm. Not even the assailant. Not even the suspect. He was shot, apprehended, and apparently is in the process of recovery. How long was he in there? Or how long was the standoff? I want to say 48 hours. I want to say it was a couple of days. Because, yeah, I, I got to work that day, and uh, the guy that I was working with actually knew him and grew up with him and grew right. up with his brother and yeah. uh, had a very troubling story of this guy uh, who was part of the standoff um, ambushing him and hitting him in the face with a skateboard. When he was in ninth grade, mm-hmm. uh, sounds like both these two, the guy, the standoff, and his younger brother, uh, are a bit of a rough crowd. Sure. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it kind of how uh, how do how do you prevent? Because obviously the guy had felonies. Right. I think lots and lots of felonies. Correct. Um. The, uh, the 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 wonderfulness of living in the freest country in the world is you there are inherent risks to yep. freedom <laughs> that's correct uh, but how do you how do you keep how do you keep uh, guns out of or how do you prevent this from happening so I want to I want to make a clear distinction between speaking in generalities about principle and mm-hmm. speaking to the specifics of this incident. Sure, sure. So when I when we talk about the specifics of this incident, I want to proceed um, with some humility because I don't know all of the specifics. Yeah, absolutely. And I very I deeply, deeply respect um, Sheriff Derringer. Yep. And, oh, he's amazing. Um, the Wright County Sheriff's Department. Uh, and I, we had help from other agencies. I, it's my understanding that SWAT from St. Cloud came down, and I'm sure there were plenty of other agencies involved that I'm not even aware of. And uh, they all did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm also a big fan of our county attorney um, here in Wright County, um, who has stood in contrast to county attorneys we've seen from places like Hennepin or <laughs> Ramsey, right, where... They just have like an active disregard for public safety. If, if anything, they're on the side of the criminal, right? Like uh, um, saying they're not, they're, they're, wasn't the Hennepin, uh, Hennepin uh, attorney decided they were no longer going to pursue police or pursue chases. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. 
And the and the John Choi and Ramsey, who's been there way too long, has been there for been there practically since I was in high school. Um, said that they were no longer going to prosecute felonies that or felony criminals that were found during traffic stops where the cause of the stop wasn't itself a felony. So your lights out, I pull you over, discover that you're wanted for fill in the blank felony. I, I, you, they can arrest him, but John Choi's not going to prosecute him because of the way they were caught. We'll hope, we'll, we'll hope to get you next time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, and I don't know what next time looks like yeah. because that goes back to your question of why was, why are these people are out? Um, this guy in St. Michael, who was the the suspect, um, had a arrest warrant, mm-hmm. and so my question, asked in admitted ignorance of how the process works, my question is. Why wasn't he therefore arrested? Right, like to I don't I don't know in and maybe I have a simplistic view informed by watching too much TV and movies, but it occurs to me that when you issue a warrant for somebody's arrest, step two is going to arrest them. Mm-hmm. Right, like you would think that that would be the next thing that happens, but apparently that's not how it works. Apparently, they issue these warrants and then they just kind of wait to see whether or not somebody shows up, somebody is caught in a traffic stop or happens to be found in some other in some other way and to me that i that's it's astounding to me that that seems to be the way the process works um you would think that if we've issued a warrant for somebody's arrest we should actively seek them out find where they're at and arrest them yeah um and i don't know why that didn't happen in this case and uh i I certainly don't understand why it's not regular practice but that's a question for the sheriff's department and the mm-hmm. county attorney, and I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have very reasonable and justifiable answers for that. Um, here in Wright County, at least, you know, you go into Hennepin, you go into Ramsey, mm-hmm. they're not even going to want to address the question. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, th- this whole episode and the and the idea of cuz we had that shooting here in buffalo too right last year <laughs> right as we moved out here yeah. from south st paul and thought oh wait and a minute <laughs> that too was a known crazy mm-hmm. a guy who was off his rocker yep and so i think part of the problem you know my mom has struggled with manic depression bipolar mm-hmm. her entire life the treatment for it has improved exponentially mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Early on in my childhood, you could you could tell what time of the year it was by whether or not she was institutionalized, because uh, she would have ner- what they used to call nervous breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Right? She would have a nervous breakdown, and then she would end up being committed for a period of time. Um, when you say t- that, just uh, an aside time of year what what was it like was it uh, what, seasonal what I, I'm, I'm being a little facetious oh, but what, okay. I, what i what i mean what i mean is is that it happens so regularly sure sure got you it. know that it was like clockwork yeah right? like you you could kind of tell where she was at in the cycle of um pseudo sane falling apart yeah nervous breakdown institutionalized released recovering right there was sure. this, there was this cycle to her uh-huh. process um and that evened out over the years because the treatments improved, mm-hmm. but the culture also changed around mental illness. We don't institutionalize people anymore. We don't have asylums. Um, we don't have places where where people who are 
to use the vernacular, nuts, mm-hmm. can be placed, number one, for their own treatment, for their own benefit, and number two, to protect the public. When did, was that like the 70s? I mean, maybe you're not, maybe you don't know, and this is would be another fascinating topic for another time. When that started going away, I, but, I mean, I feel like I've heard it was the 70s, or and what was the result around it? If, if memory serves... Or the cause, I mean, of it, all of it kind of going away. If memory serves, and it probably doesn't, uh, there, there was some sort of decree. I, it might even have been by Nixon. I know it, you're, you've got the era close. Of there was there was a, a significant policy change that was I, I believe was made at the national level, um, where they made the decision that they were no longer going to support these facilities, these mental health facilities, and that they were going to move away from it uh, and try to integrate people back into society. The problem is there are certain behaviors yeah. and certain um, traits that cannot be integrated into society. No. And they fall into, they're broadly speaking, they fall into two categories. Criminal behavior and just dysfunction, mm-hmm. right? So when we talk about mental health, you can, you can have someone, like for instance, my mom has gotten disability checks for as, lo- as long as I've been alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is because, and I know this for a, from firsthand experience, she cannot function in an, in an employee role, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you were, we, we, we tried working together once uh, when I was a teenager for a catering company, and I got to see firsthand what she was like in that type of environment, and it just wasn't, she couldn't function. Mm-hmm. So if you lack the ability to function, then... We need to do something for you, and we also need to protect everybody else from you, right? So the mm-hmm. reason why my mom, you know, say what you will about uh, redistributive programs, and um, we can get into more detail about that, but the reason why my mom got checks from the government was not just to provide for her, mm-hmm. but to keep her out of productive workplaces so that she didn't disrupt operations, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And... In a similar sense, you know, folks, other folks who have mental issues that keep them, not just only keep them from being able to provide the productivity necessary to sustain their own lives, but also who disrupt the productivity of everyone else who's trying to sustain their lives. There, there You can make an argument there that there's a public interest in totally supporting them. And also isolating them to whatever degree is appropriate. And that's what the institutions did. Mm-hmm. They they took folks who needed help, provided them with the help, and also isolated them so that they weren't encroaching upon the peaceful enjoyment of everyone else's life. Mm-hmm. So we're, we've gotten away from that, and that's why we have huge homeless problems everywhere you look. Uh, it, it contributes to crime. Um, and then... You've got the public safety angle, right? Where while we're neglecting to take care of people who need help and to isolate them from productive society, we're also saying that we're not going to prosecute criminals. We're going to stay their sentences. We're going to afford them every excuse conceivable 
to explain away their behavior and we're going to we're going to focus all our concern on treating them well and completely ignore not just the people they have already victimized but the community that they're likely to victimize again and in extreme cases we're going to provide them with the drugs right i believe like in increasingly. california increasingly yeah and so all it's of that insane. needs to change all of that needs to change we need to we need to reform our pro like mental health should be considered like the money that we spend in support of mental health we should regard in the same way as the money that we're willing to spend on prisons right like i don't i don't support prisons because i want to feed and house criminals i support <laughs> prisons because i want to isolate criminals mm -hmm. from law-abiding society and i want to provide uh, a punishment a consequence justice for crimes that have been committed in a similar sense i don't want to i don't support the concept of an asylum mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it because i want to pay for people like my mom mm -hmm. who can't take care of themselves uh, i support the concept because they i want to isolate productive society or isolate them from productive society enable the peaceful enjoyment of life from the rest for the rest of us while also providing them with what they require in order to sustain their human dignity mm -hmm. right so there's a human mm -hmm. dignity component to this as well oh, yeah. where it's it is not and we're seeing this frankly with joe biden as president joe biden is an embarrassment to himself <laughs> and an embarrassment to our nation it's criminal what how he is being propped up like weekend at bernie's mm -hmm. <laughs> um and asked to serve this figurehead role of president of the united states it is an affront to his dignity personally and it is an affront to human dignity generally in a similar sense when you take somebody who lacks the function to proceed in society and you force them to go out into society anyway and just say good luck Mm -hmm. hope it works out here's a pat on the head and a check you you are not treating them with dignity and, th and that's the thing is these these leftist ideas and policies have everything inverted they make arguments on the basis of compassion but they're not actually being compassionate it's not compassionate to let somebody out onto the street who's going to be homeless if you know they're going to be homeless because they lack the function required to not be then the compassionate thing to do is to provide an institution where their needs can be met and they cannot be a hindrance to everyone else. There's your logical part of logical and right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you have anything else on the St. Michael situation? That, but uh... Well, just this. And I'm not saying that what I'm about to say applies to the sheriff's department or any of the other agencies that responded um but i feel very sorry for our law enforcement generally oh yeah because of the the political and cultural environment that they're operating in um sheriff derringer and his deputies and the other uh agencies at the scene 
were in and remain in an impossible situation. Oh, totally. Where no matter how, I mean, it went, it ended up resolving in the best possible way mm -hmm. for them and for us and for him, the suspect. At the same time, that was such a tightrope for them to walk, mm -hmm. for Derringer and, and uh, the law enforcement response to walk, because if it had gone one way or the other, if either this guy had harmed somebody or if he had been shot and killed, then you're going to get that activist response, right, of you didn't do enough or you did too much. Mm -hmm. We need to change that. We need to change that environment. I firmly believe um, when you look at the case in Uvalde, Texas, you look at the school shooting that happened down there and the law enforcement response, which was pathetic. Oh, yeah. It was it. The law enforcement response in Uvalde was itself a criminal response. Um, you had officers failing to engage, uh, apparently operating under what could be called stand down orders, mm -hmm. I guess. Right. Uh, because the protocol, from what I understand the protocol called for them to engage this shooter. But they didn't do yeah. that under orders. Um, and when you when you hear the commentary and the testimony from those who were in decision-making positions after the fact, it's a very kind of a hand-wringing, hemming and hawing. I don't. It, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't have authorization. Blah blah blah. And it reminds me very much of certain passages in Atlas Shrugged, Ayn Rand's novel, mm -hmm. if you happen to have read that. Where the further along the degeneration of society goes, the more and more you run into people who are afraid to act because they don't want to take responsibility. And we have put law enforcement in this country into a situation where they don't have any incentive to act. I mean, think about it. Under the best case scenario, best case, you're already asking a guy to put his wife and children out of his head, mm -hmm. run towards gunfire, mm -hmm. and potentially risk his own life in order to affect justice, make peace, right? That's their job. So you're already asking him to do that. And it used to be that we would balance that out, that ask. We would balance it with honor. We would say, you do this, you put yourself forward as somebody who's called upon to do this. In exchange for that, we are going to treat you with honor and respect and afford you a position of dignity. And we're going to call you a hero because that's what you are. Well, now we've taken that away. Now we're saying you're a villain, you're a criminal, um, you, you're a suspect, you're racist, you're bigoted, you're terrible. Before they've even done anything, mm -hmm. we're telling them this. So then they show up to Uvalde, or they show up in St. Michael. What's on their mind now? Yeah, their their own, their, the, the rest of their career, possibly. Right. <laughs> you, the, what, how, do, how do I get out of this situation? Number one, how do I get home? Mm-hmm. But, but also, how do I do my job? Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, how do I not ruin my entire... Assuming I survive, mm -hmm. and assuming I, I don't get fired, how do I not ruin my entire life going forward and the lives of my children and everybody who knows me by my actions here today? 
that's a hell of a lot of weight mm-hmm. to put on the the soul of an officer. It's insane that that's the scenario that we've created in this country. And so what we need to do is we need to aggressively push back against all this BLM nonsense, uh, the defund the police junk. Um, the whole kit and caboodle needs to be aggressively pushed against. And let me let me put some meat on those bones. I believe that the activities of some of these groups, some of these anti-police groups, qualifies as organized crime. Um, when you look at what Black Lives Matter did, particularly in 2020, uh, in the in the wake of George Floyd, you had groups that were organizing the transportation of protesters with scarecrow <laughs> quotes mm-hmm. uh, to come into communities and burn them down mm-hmm. and engage in looting and arson and assault. Uh, you had the burning of the third precinct. You had folks like our current vice president, Kamala Harris, coming out and openly advocating for the raising of money to provide bail to let these people back out on the street when they were arrested. Minnesota Freedom Fund. Um, yeah. So to me, all of that is organized crime. When you go back and you look at the history of the mob, what, what made the mob work was their masterful manipulation of constitutional rights and due process. They were able to say, well, I, I never did that. I never, I didn't murder that guy. He just fell down some stairs, you know, (laughs) or he got mugged. Mm -hmm. Didn't have anything to do with me. Now we knew that the boss was giving the order and it was being carried out, Mm -hmm. but we couldn't connect that dot. We couldn't say he murdered that guy. And so he was getting away with it. And every once in a while, a low level guy would go down for the crime, but the organization would remain intact and the leadership would remain intact. We're dealing with the same problem today with this, with this BLM nonsense. Um, the way we solved the problem with the mob is we came up with what was called RICO. Mm-hmm. And what RICO did is it said, if we can connect you in a criminal conspiracy and we can convict one of you of a crime, then we can convict all of you with that crime. And that's how we went after the mob. And that's how we defeated them. We need to do the exact same thing with these leftist insurgency organizations that are engaged in the funding organization and execution of insurrectionist attacks in American cities. They need to be put in jail. They need to be, they need to have to be fined. They need to have their assets taken away and they need to be uh, put behind bars for a very long time. Um, and unless we're willing to do that, we're going to continue to see this stuff. And uh, that, so that's to me, that's the goal. That's what I'm aiming for is we need to have RICO style legislation that explicitly targets the funding organization and aiding and abetting of this terror in the street. Um, and we saw it, frankly, you know, we saw it here in Albertville to a much lesser degree. Mm-hmm. But a couple of years back, we had a BLM march through Albertville, oh. started um, down Main Street and then swung around the county roads and went down back up to the to middle school west is this pre-20 uh i think it was during 20 okay and you know they didn't have a permit or anything they just decided they were just going to take over the street Mm -hmm. and the sheriff's office responded uh, in order to basically to just 
be a presence and keep the situation from escalating. Now, in the aftermath of that, I, I was extremely upset that this had happened and that the people who did it were not arrested and charged with a crime. And the arguments that I got uh, in reverse were things like, well, you know, you have a First Amendment right to speak your mind, which, yes, you do. But you don't have a First Amendment right to stop traffic, right? <laughs> yep. um, and yeah, you, you would get arguments along the line of, well, there, there are too many of them, you know, so we can't, if we do this, we're going to escalate the situation. Well, the other side knows that, right? Like, this is part of their strategy. Mm -hmm. They know that if you and I, you and me, Dan and Walter, we go out in the middle of uh, Highway 55 over here, and we start, start blocking traffic and shouting and yelling at people, just the two of us, within 20 minutes, we're going to be in jail. Within 20 minutes. Yeah. But if you get 500 people to do it, now all of a sudden it's, oh, we have to be kind and gentle and understanding, and it's a First Amendment right, and yada, yada. That is called inequality under the law. That mm -hmm. is unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. You can't allow one group of people to do something and get away with it that you would not allow another person to do and get away with. And so what we need to do is we need to catch up our law. We need to adjust the law to catch up with the tactics that we're seeing from these criminal thugs. Um, you, it, it needs to be a, a deal where if you are in association with criminal activity and you fail to disperse when ordered to do so, it escalates the severity of the charge. Um, because what's happening right now is very few people are getting arrested and they're all getting released because they are, they're all, they've got their bail funds and all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and plus they, it's a lot of times this is happening in jurisdictions where the prosecutors aren't willing to do anything. Right. Uh, so that's the other side of this is we need to, we need to target prosecutors. We need to target judges. Um, we need to change the law such that um, we, we potentially create civil liability for, you know, if look, a guy gets arrested for rape, um, goes to, gets arrested, goes to a prosecutor, prosecutor decides he's like, going to plea it down or he's not going to charge or it goes to court and the judge decides he's going to stay the sentence. All right. And then that guy gets back out on the street and then rapes your wife or your daughter. Uh, that judge should be civilly liable at a minimum. Civilly liable at a minimum for that decision because that decision actively aided and abetted the crime against you. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, that also raises the importance of supporting our statewide candidates this year, particularly the Attorney General, mm -hmm. it, when it comes to this issue. Because the Attorney General's office... And Jim Schultz, who is our endorsed candidate, yep. who's fantastic on this issue and is going to be great in that office, he has a plan to expand the criminal division. Currently, they only have one criminal uh, lawyer in the attorney general's office for the entire state of Minnesota. No, 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 no. We need to create a division of criminal lawyers that are actively prosecuting these crimes and getting after it in order to affect public safety. Um, this isn't something that's going to be fixed merely by electing Walter Hudson as state representative, although I certainly appreciate your support mm -hmm. and welcome it and need it. I'm not, I'm not offering the promise that electing me is going to change the world. It's not. You've got to elect me and you got to elect Jim Schultz and you got to elect uh, our, our, our candidates up and down the ticket. Kim Crockett, 
Scott Jensen, mm-hmm. Ryan Wilson, the whole lot, Eric Lucero, all of us. You got to elect us all because we all, we, you need the team in all of these roles who are of the same mind, which is that we are going to transform Minnesota from the cold California that it is currently trending toward <laughs> towards something that looks a lot more like a cold Florida. Yeah. Um, uh, on the on the issue of uh, compassion, I'm guessing you have a few thoughts, um, and that it makes me think of how the left, by compassion, ends up being exactly what they accuse us of being, which is racist. Uh, and by that, I mean the compassion of well, it's just it's too hard to expect the black students to perform right oh my lord yeah uh and and uh, yeah so give us some thoughts on that thoughts on you know the 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 irony of (laughs) what the left does in terms of their views and what they say about race and how our side is racist yet (laughs) look at the public schools look at the police and how they obviously have in their in the back of their mind uh if it's a black suspect well anything i do right now that might be the end of my career because i may have saved a family of little black kids the day before but if this black suspect is shooting at me and i shoot him and kill him my life is over right um yeah i mean there's much that could be said i mean we could go on and on and on but i'll start with this uh which is bigots are gonna bigot (laughs) <laughs> right. And there's this concept that may be novel. I don't know. I, I came up with it recently and I haven't seen it anywhere else. There's this concept I, that came to my mind recently um, that I call contextual bigotry. And what I mean by that is that people who are predisposed towards bigotry are naturally weak minded and lack character and have weak constitutions. And so as a result of that, their bigotry is gonna be like water. It's gonna fill whatever container you put it in. So for instance, if you were to go back to the antebellum South, pre-Civil War, mm-hmm. the, the person who is predisposed towards bigotry is going to pour their bigotry into the container of chattel slavery and the denigration of black people mm-hmm. because that's the <coughs> excuse me it's okay that's the context in which they find themselves and it also provides the least amount of resistance right so if if they had chosen instead for their bigotry to be against i don't know say um protestants <laughs> uh they would they would find a lot of resistance and difficulty because they live in a community that's defined by protestantism so they're not going to choose that they're going to go for the the low-hanging fruit what they can get away with being bigoted against similarly if you were to take the the person predisposed towards bigotry and plunk them into modern afghanistan in that culture well what are they going to do they're going to target homosexuals they're going to target <laughs> christians they're going to target the the people who they can get away with being bigoted towards they're going to pour their bigotry into the container of the culture what we see in modern america 
is bigotry poured into the container of progressivism, bigotry poured into the container of critical theory, bigotry poured into the container of um, gender theory and these, these racial conversations that we're having. The people who it is okay to be bigoted against in the United States of America are straight, white, male, cisgender, Christians. Okay? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can do and say literally anything to or about that group of people it, as like like somebody who fits into all those categories boy you can really get after them but even people who just fit in one of them right like so for instance i'm biracial my dad is black so uh although they do try to put me in the white category well uh, now i bet <laughs> yeah because you're a conservative right um but even so so i can check that box but then i'm also straight Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I am cisgender, which is a stupid phrase that we shouldn't a- allow them to inject into the t- discourse. But for the sake of argument, we'll claim that. Um, and I'm a Christian. So I don't get any benefit from being black. <laughs> Are you kidding me? They, could po- they couldn't possibly care less. And so they get to be bigoted against me for my Christianity. They get to be bigoted against me because I like my wife. Right. Uh, they get to be bigoted against me because I don't go along with the pronoun nonsense and with their fantastical made up gender fantasies. Uh, and so that's that's the form that bigotry takes. Bigotry is, is highly contextual because because bigotry is a product of a weak mind and a weak constitution. It's going to take on different forms depending on the cultural context that it finds itself in. And it's always going to, like water, which sinks to the, the lowest point and finds the path of least resistance, bigotry is exactly the same way. It's going to sink to the lowest point of the culture and it's going to follow the path of least resistance. And right now, that path is progressivism. It's critical theory. It's the idea that we can neatly divide people into categories and call one of them an oppressor and the other one the oppressed. And you can do, you can get your rocks off doing anything you want to the oppressor, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, if you believe that, it's, it's, it's liberating. It's like a clockwork orange. You know, you, you tell somebody you can, or, or like the purge, you tell somebody it's okay for you to attack this group of people for this reason, because they are this thing. And we've seen historical analogs time and time again, and it's no different now. The, the only difference now is that the victim class is straight, white, male cisgender christian um and so at any rate that's one part of it you 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 talked about you asked about compassion so when we talk about the black community or people of color and and having compassion for them um as you referred to earlier there's what's called the bigotry of low expectations right the idea that like you said, we can't discipline the black child because you can't expect him to behave like a human being. We have to treat him like a beast because that's how we actually regard him. Um, and that's peppered throughout all of this. Like critical theory, there's, and again, there's much that can be said about it, but one of the, of the components of it is most certainly the idea that black people cannot be expected to act like civilized human beings. I mean, it's explicit. Mm-hmm. They define... When they talk about whiteness, there was this uh, infographic that was 
put up in a, I believe it was the Museum of African American History in Washington some years back, Smithsonian. Oh, yeah. This, <laughs> I think I know where you're going with yeah, this. Yeah, where, where they put up this infographic describing components of white supremacy. And things that they listed off were things like work ethic, um, <laughs> timeliness, yep. the scientific method, rationality. And it's like, oh, so basically being a human being, like not being an animal is whiteness. Being, being a responsible human being right. and adhering to certain parts of society that you show up to work on time and then work hard. Right. That's... And so, I mean, <laughs> you, you have to ask yourself the question. If I were racist against black people in this culture, in this historical context that we find ourselves in right now, how would I go about expressing that in a way that followed the path of least resistance, right? Um, and that enabled me to, to actually gain a claim and, and proceed with a semblance of honor. And the answers to those questions are, you, you would support institutions and ideas which encourage black people to place themselves in a second-class status. So look yeah. at the rap music. Look at the, the movie culture. Look at, look at the, the, the... The guys who make the decision as to what is going to be popular music are white guys. Okay, They're not <laughs> black guys. Mm -hmm. So you think there's any connection that we can draw between the types of messages that get put forward in popular black media um, and the effect that that has on the culture and the top level decision makers, you know, if, if you want to keep a population down, then you come up with ways to encourage them to remain stagnant, to lower their expectations, to believe that they're entitled to not aspire to, to greatness. And that is explicitly what is happening. The greatest contrast we can see here in Minnesota. So on the one hand, you have George Floyd. Okay were literally putting up murals and statues and building impromptu parks to this guy, treating him like a hero. This is a man who, who invaded a home, took a gun, pointed it at the pregnant belly of a woman whose name we don't even know, yep. right? Breonna Taylor, say her name, but don't say the name of the gal who George Floyd put a gun to her pregnant belly, right? We're not mm -hmm. going to talk about her. Me too, except her, right? Um... This guy who was a criminal scumbag, a worthless POS, mm -hmm. had no redeeming qualities. This guy is a hero. You know what else he is? He's, he's where the left wants you as a black person. They, they have lifted him up as a role model for black men. Be like George Floyd. Okay, by contrast, on our side, you have Kendall Qualls. Mm-hmm. Candidate for governor. Almost got the endorsement. Mm -hmm. um, still working hard. Former candidate for Congress. Runs Take Charge Minnesota. Yep. This is a guy who is a veteran. Business owner. Mm -hmm. Beautiful family. Um, getting after it. Getting after life. Pursuing happiness. Building something. Aspirational figure. Great guy. That's who I want black people to aspire towards. That's oh. the, the role model that I'm putting up. That's, that's what I look up to. I want to be like Kendall Qualls, mm -hmm. right? I want my sons to be like Kendall Qualls. I certainly don't want them to be like George Floyd. Now, one of those two goals is affirming and compassionate 
and empowering, and the other one is racist bigotry. When you put forward as a role model criminal degeneracy, that tells you what you think about the population that you're placing that role model in front of. That's what the left thinks of black people. That's what the left wants for black people. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to this a few times about uh, my brother, who is a middle school teacher at St. Louis Park. And over the course of 15 years, he went from a uh, pretty, you know, standard liberal teacher to seeing what has happened in the school systems and seeing how they have basically decided to stop disciplining black students because a, a white teacher can't discipline a black student. That's wrong, no matter what is going on. I mean, he, he told me a story of a, a kid who came up to him and said, I will knock your effing ass out. And he was back in school the next day. Like literally a That's insane. threat to That's a insane. teacher right. and the kids back in school. And yeah, yeah the, the bigotry of low expectations. And he even told me a story uh, last fall about how, long story short, there was a, there was a fight between seventh grade, uh, seventh grade and eighth grade girls where the, the one, I believe it was the younger student, uh, got the, got the S beat out of her. Um, let me pause for a second. Sure. Okay. I'm back. The, uh, I believe it was the seventh grade girl got beat up pretty good. Um, and this was after word got out that this was possibly going to happen. And the school thought that the approach should be bring bring the the possible potential students that were going to be doing this in for a little powwow to try to tell them, you know, puppies and kittens. Right. We can't we can't do, you know, right. this is this would be bad. Well, ends up happening anyways. The uh the parents of the girl who got beat up, uh, no surprise, incredibly troubled, come to the school. Uh, the other parents of the students that were doing the beating there, fight breaks out between the parents in the hallway. Parents <laughs> throwing each other up against the lockers. Police called. It spills out into the parking lot. And mm -hmm. what my brother said, uh, my brother said the, the most ridiculous thing was here you had a whole bunch of white, far-left progressive teachers watching this unfold and basically asking themselves, how could this have happened? Well, it happened because of everything you all have demanded for the past yes. 10 years. Right. But they can't see that. They can't. They can't look in the mirror and and say when you stop having law and order in the school system, mm -hmm. and or you have law and order based on race, <laughs> you get chaos. Right. Yeah. This is to, to make a perhaps an abrupt cultural reference. Um, this is what I used to love about Star Trek, growing up <laughs> as a kid. Um, You're gonna have to explain. I was I was never a Trekkie. That's fine. So, but so, I'm, I am. Uh, I would love to learn. So, Star Trek was created by a progressive, Gene Roddenberry, oh, um, okay. and the whole premise is 
that in the future, two, three hundred years in the future, we're going to have evolved as a society and we're going to have done away with war and hunger and racism and hatred. And, and as, a, as a planet, we're going to have this unified, wonderful kumbaya society. And then we're going to go out into the stars and we're going to, have, we're going to travel on ships and we're going to visit strange new worlds, right? And we're going to import our enlightened progressive philosophy to all of these heathen <laughs> alien cultures mm -hmm. by modeling for them the way it ought to be done. Uh, we're not going to in, in, interfere, though, much like these teachers. We're not going to interfere. We're not going to tell them that they have to abide by our values. But we're going to, through the demonstration of how our way works, they'll see it and they'll be inspired and they'll, they'll transform the universe into a, into a peaceful utopia. Well, what I, what I love about Star Trek over the years is that it argues against its own premise time and time again. The best Star Trek episodes, the best Star Trek movies are the ones where they end up having to fire phasers, raise shields, you know, set phasers on stun, take on the Klingons, defeat the Borg. <laughs> um, the second argument must negate the first. That's exactly right. Like, it's... <laughs> They end up proving the futility of their own premise time and time again, and they do so in a way that isn't... I don't think the writers are aware of the fact that they're arguing against their own premise. The, the, the thing is, is like for, in order to have an engaging story, there has to be some kind of conflict, right? But there's, that principle also kind of applies to real life, where... The nature of human beings is such that there is going to be conflict. So the idea that um, you can you can implement a policy that presumes there won't be, which is what you're talking about. Those teachers see, know that these students are ramping up to an escalating conflict that's going to become physical. And so what do they do? They presume that they're going to be able to intervene in such a way as to prevent them from taking the action that they want to take. No. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. You don't talk the Klingons down, okay? <laughs> you, you raise your shields and you charge up your phasers. Um, because that's the only thing they're going to respect is strength. Mm -hmm. And ultimately you have to demonstrate that. Uh, and it's so true. Like, and this, this gets into like the roles of fathers. Anytime you start talking about the black community in particular, sure, yeah. the, the tendencies in the family away from... Um, having two-parent households and having engaged fathers and and what have you. I mean, I see it with my boys. I look back on my own childhood. You know, I, I didn't raise... I didn't cause a lot of trouble as a kid, but I was a boy. And boys get in trouble. Um, and I can only imagine what I would have been like without my dad. Because my mom... I mean, I already described some mm -hmm. of the difficulties that she faced. And... It, it, a strange things happens when you a kind of re reversal reversal of roles happens in that scenario where I kind of became the parent of my mom mm -hmm. in a way, and so you can sometimes kids can develop a maturity beyond their years and behave better as a result. But if my dad hadn't been there to set limitations, mm -hmm. then it could have just as easily gone the other way. I could have started taking advantage of it. if it was just me and my mom, oh, yeah. and I know that she's gonna be taken away or whatever um i could have taken advantage of that situation if i didn't have my dad to rein me in and similarly with my own boys 
my boys my boys are fantastic they're wonderful they're creative they're my youngest has an incredibly gentle soul is very sensitive like his mother um but they can also be evil right (laughs) to each other to us um and if unchecked that would eventually spill out to everyone else you know if if we don't while we have them within our sphere of influence say this is the line and you dare not cross it Mm -hmm. right um and as a father in particular like my wife is no pushover but her ability to engage with my boys on a disciplinary level is inherently limited not because she lacks strength but because she has a different nature than theirs mm-hmm. she's a woman mm-hmm. they're boys she's female they're male a man needs to show his sons how to proceed with meekness and meekness does not mean weakness it doesn't mean deference it doesn't mean look look at your shoes and you know stare at the ground as you're walking what it means is you walk tall you look people in the eye you you, you carry yourself with strength but you rein it in you rein it in mm-hmm. you keep it under control that's meekness when the bible says the meek shall inherit the earth that's what they're what it's talking about oh. it's talking about the ability the ability to the the fostering of strength corralled and channeled toward the productive purpose of being a christian of living a christian life right it doesn't mean being weak and deferential and apologizing for everything it means being strong and channeling that strength in the right way and men need to teach that to boys and when they do incidents like the one you're describing don't happen and mm-hmm. it's not something you're going to achieve in a meeting with teachers for 15 minutes trying to get a kumbaya moment with their victim. Yeah. Uh, you brought up Kendall Qualls, who I met when he did his event out here in Buffalo back in March, I believe. Like, what an awesome dude. I just yeah. love the guy. Uh, <clears throat> so... I wanted to get your take on my, this is my theory that you can't win, you can't win the state without the cities. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and maybe he is already doing this. I know I read an article in Alpha News that he wrote about how he said, yep, I'm 100% behind Jensen, who is another guy that I have been uh, paying attention to basically since the beginning of the pandemic and the stuff that he was bringing out and saying, right. there are some really weird things going on, these yeah. letters that I'm getting. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, my theory is that uh, the two of them need to get together, like have a face-to-face, and Kendall Qualls needs to go into the cities and basically campaign for Jensen as if he is campaigning for himself. Well, and I would love to join him in that. Um, when I was campaigning for endorsement here in Wright County, uh, that was a big part of my pitch was that I want to go into the city and help these statewide campaigns make inroads um, with those communities. And um, I'm looking for ways to do that. 
I think Qualls and I should actually I should reach out to Qualls and see if if there's a way to get involved. See, the problem is is he's he's got take charge. Yep. And take charge is a nonprofit. I think it's a five hundred one c three or mm-hmm. something along those lines. So they can't be explicitly involved in campaigning. So as the president of a nonprofit, it, that might prevent him from being able to act in in the role that you're envisioning. Because mm-hmm. um, I know I know I reached out um, earlier prior to the state convention and and tried to make a connection with Take Charge and said, hey, I really love what you guys are doing. You know. What can I do to help? And they were very clear that we love that idea, but we have to be careful because of the the artificial boundaries that are drawn between this type of organization and that type of organization. Um, But there has to be a way to make some... Because the left does it, right? They've got their nonprofits and they've got their political campaigns and there's a synergy there that may or may not be explicit coordination, but nonetheless has the effect of making inroads his wife also does a lot yes could he possibly step down until november and uh i'm just thinking that like we got on before about how uh i mean our side does not like to make a huge deal of race Mm -hmm. and but the left has demanded that we make a big deal of race and so being people like Tim Christopher, who will call in to the Reverend Tim Christopher, who yeah. I believe is in North Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, that'll call and talk to Garage Logic. People yep. like him, Kendall Qualls, people like you. The just the the nature of reality, especially in a state like Minnesota, is a white person cannot go and talk to the black community in the cities and have the same impact that uh, well, you, Kendall, so, and Tim Christopher can to say, look, you so know something needs to change. A, a Give couple, us a shot. A couple <laughs> thoughts on that. Um, because I hear this a lot. I, I went on Bob Sanzevier's show, the BS show, mm-hmm. and he made a similar point. He's like, well, you're saying all this great stuff that I agree with, but but you're, you're the only one who can say it because of the color of your skin. Um, I understand the point that people are trying to make that it's certainly it's difficult to walk in to um, a community where you look different and you come from a different place and you, you you're an alien in on their world mm-hmm. you know um, and to and to relate and to develop relationship and to be taken seriously certainly difficult it's marginally less difficult for me. And I imagine it's probably marginally less difficult for Kendall Qualls because even though our skin tone more closely matches the communities in question, mm-hmm. um, the, the sensibility, right? Uh, the, the cultural context is different. And we're selling something that's different than what's otherwise being sold. So, you know, I go in, I go into North Minneapolis. I talk to Tim Christopher. I, you know, I talk to to any of these guys, Don Allen, um, and get go out to the neighborhoods and start knocking on doors. I'm going to run into very similar problem. Who are you? Mm-hmm. Where are you coming from? Well, you don't know what's going on here. Oh, you live out in Wright County? Sure, <laughs> come back and tell me when yeah. you know. And and they're right and they're right to have that skepticism, 
the point I'm trying to make is that no matter who you send as an ambassador, they're going to be an ambassador. They're not going to be a native, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and then secondarily, I think that what we're the point we're trying to get across and what we're selling is is something that. I, there, it's, it is inherently attractive. You know, I, 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 fe I think that a lot of conservatives feel as though we can't just go into the inner city with conservatism and present it and say, this is for you. That the reaction is going to be, ah, that's racist. Ah, you're a bigot. Ah, you don't know what you're talking about. And you'll get some of that. Sure, you're going to get some of that. But you know what else you're going to get? A lot of nodding heads. A lot of mm-hmm's and a lot of amens mm -hmm. because you're going to be talking about things like fathers need to be in the home. You're going to be talking about things like public safety. We need cops in the street. You're going to be talking about things like education. Your kid deserves a better education than they're being afforded by these teachers who have a million dollars per classroom and somehow still can't teach your kid how to read. Okay. You start talking about those issues and the things that are important to people all of a sudden, all that racial stuff is going to start to fall right to the side. Because what, what brings people together is common purpose and common values. We all love our kids. We all want to live and eat and aspire towards something and, be, and work towards something better than what we currently have. That's the common ground. Before we started recording, you brought up or made reference to Martin Luther King and his famous sentiment that he, he had a dream that he wanted to affect a world wherein his children would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And you asked, you know, how is it that we've gone from that to what we have now, which is the, all this stuff where we're explicitly judging everyone by the color <laughs> of their character or by the color of their skin and rejecting character as even something worth looking at. The answer to the question is, Martin Luther King was on our side, okay? His legacy has been appropriated maliciously by the other side. You go back and you look at where he was and what he was saying and what he was advocating for and contrast it with all of his contemporaries. There is a reason why we have an MLK Day and we don't have a Malcolm X Day or a Black Panthers Day, right? Or a Jesse Jackson Day. There's a reason. And it's because MLK distinguished himself from all of his contemporaries. Because what were they arguing for? The same thing the left is arguing for today. They were black nationalists. They were, they were agreeing with the segregationists. They were saying, yeah, we need to have separate societies. We need to have separate institutions. You know, black money for black people, black institutions, yada, yada. MLK was different, which is part of what got him killed. Mm -hmm. he, he was saying, no, 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 no. We need to come together as brothers and sisters. We need to judge each other according to our character. We need to integrate society. And that was the argument that won the day. And they have spent the time since his death until now undoing his legacy by arguing for the opposite of what he stood for. <laughs> okay? Um, so when, when, we, when we talk about race... You know, when we, we pull it back to MLK, and that's the thing. I can, go in, I can go into North Minneapolis right now and make that case. Martin Luther King, 
whose pitcher you have hanging on the wall right here next to this other guy, Malcolm X. These two guys were not the same guy. And they didn't stand for the same thing. And they weren't fighting for the same end. And there's a reason why we're celebrating this guy and we're not celebrating this guy. And, and it's because he was preaching, we're brothers and sisters. And he was preaching, you got nothing for me, whitey. <laughs> All right? Now, you're free to choose one of those two paths. The path of, I ain't got nothing for you, whitey, and I don't want nothing from you. That path leads you to where you are at. Do you like where you're at? Do you like where your kids are at? Because this other guy, MLK, he had a different path. And that was a path that led towards prosperity, aspiration, productivity, building something for yourself, multi-generational legacies, families, communities, cohesion, prosperity. I don't know. I kind of like that. I think that might be a better way to go, but mm -hmm. it's up to you. And I, I think you can be bold like that and you can just lay it out. Like, this is what I'm for. I'm for what he was for. You know, and I, res I respect, look, there's a lot I respect about Malcolm X. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, in the 60s was calling out the white liberal. Well, yeah. And for demanding that they're, they're, they're the black community's savior. Malcolm, and Malcolm X is a complicated person who has a complicated story because Very. he did not end where he started. Mm -hmm. Like when, we t when I talk about the, con the contrast that I'm drawing mm -hmm. is a contrast with early Malcolm X. Sure, sure. Late Malcolm X was much more like MLK. Mm -hmm. Late Malcolm X had a reformation of his thinking and started to realize that the Nation of Islam wasn't all it was cracked up to be and wasn't really preaching um, what the, the kind of essential uh, religious tenets were. And so he changed his tune towards the end, which is what got him killed. Both of them were killed for the same reason, because they became a threat to the leftist establishment that, mm -hmm. that survived them and is dominant today. The wrong people won coming out of the civil rights movement. We, we, got, a, we got major accomplishments in terms of the abolition of Jim Crow um, and the Civil Rights Act for the most part. There are some parts of it that are problematic, but for the most part, it was good legislation. I believe voted on more by Republicans. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's not forget that in both, I think both civil rights in, of the was the late eighteen hundreds and also yeah. in the sixties. Both. Oh, voted. Republicans! Republicans have been the voice of freedom and liberty and human dignity since the beginning, and Democrats have been on the wrong side of every historical issue, every single <laughs> one. Okay, so and that trend continues today. This myth of you know the Southern strategy and the flip from. Uh, where all the racists decided that they were going to leave the Democratic Party and go into the Republican Party. It's absolute and utter complete nonsense. Mm -hmm. what, ha what really happened was that racism and bigotry, like, like I said earlier, when I talk about contextual bigotry, the context changed. And so bigotry had to change too. Right? That's mm -hmm. what happened mm -hmm. is that they're like, well, you know, we can't do Jim Crow anymore and uh, we can't do slavery anymore. And, uh, you know, we can't violate people's rights explicitly anymore. So what are we going to do now? How are, how are we going to maintain this worldview that says black people are worthless, black people are second class citizens? How are we going to perpetuate that in this new context where they have rights and stuff? And the answers they came up with were affirmative action, critical theory, um, pop culture that 
and and welfare policies, all of which add up to destroy your families, have no aspirations, linger, wallow in a culture of grievance and uh, self-pity, right? Yeah. Because the effect of all of that is to keep blacks down. And that's the point of it. And those people didn't leave the Democratic Party. They stayed in it. They stayed in it, and they're still there today. Yeah, I brought it up, or I brought this up with Larry uh, last Sunday. Larry Pinkney, the episode four, where it's obviously not on record, or it's not been recorded. You, I don't think you can find an audio recording of it, but the uh, very possible. I think even Snopes, the far left Snopes Truth site acknowledge that it is i think they say it is possibly true or it is quite possibly true that lyndon johnson on air force one after jfk was assassinated said to his aides just watch i'll have every n-word voting democrat for the next 200 years that's right you have now inner cities largely populated by the black community in disastrous conditions right (laughs) Right. All run by libs. All run by the people who claim to have compassion for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, again, let let me really go out on a limb, all right? Uh, You are free to do so. (laughs) There is is no set. This is a safe space for freedom. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure nobody's going to hear this. Uh, No, let me really go out on a limb and say that the bigotry of low expectations is not exclusive to Democrats. I think our side does it too, and I think we do it particularly when it comes to contemplating outreach and engagement. So we assume... Kind of like me saying, uh, I can't survive, uh, I, I can't get a message across in right. North Minneapolis. Right, right. And it's not, you know, it's not an explicit, it's not like, but it's, it's the idea that um, they're not going to value what we value, you know. Uh, they're not like us. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's that's not the case. Um, I think I give people credit for being at least as smart as me. And when you do that, it really frees you up to, number one, engage with them on the presumption that you can have a conversation, number one. But then number two, it also frees you up to condemn people for their evil. Because you say, I'm going to assume that you're not stupid and therefore understand what it is that you stand for. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you stand for it is pretty reprehensible. Um, but that's the thing. is I, 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 I think that it's not that they're dumb. They see their, their circumstances. They see who's responsible for it. I mean, you've had conversations with, or maybe you've just heard Tim Christopher call into Garage Logic. Yeah, I've not. No, I have not had a conversation with him. That'd be wonderful. But I, yeah, I've heard him numerous times on Garage sure. Logic, and he's just a fascinating dude. Well, you <laughs> talk to him. Um, you t- you talk to Don Allen. You talk to any of these guys, and what you're going to find is that I mean, there's this guy. I'll I'll send you the link. Um, there's a whole series of videos. I don't know the guy's name, but he's done, I think it's called Minnesota Black News or something like that. It's a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And he's done these, like, Ken Burns-style <laughs> exposés on mm-hmm. Minneapolis school system. Yeah. And he has a perspective. I'm sure his worldview is very different than yours and mine. He's, he doesn't seem like he's a conservative by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. But he 
recognizes that he and his community are getting played Mm -hmm. and he calls them out aggressively and there's a lot of that in minneapolis and so what we need to do is we need we need to we need to engage in such a way that number one conveys the value of what it is that we're selling but also number two and perhaps even more importantly empowers folks who already live there to create their own version of what we're selling because the version that uh, Tim Christopher or Don Allen or this guy I'm talking about, Minnesota Black News, um, the version of conservatism and Republican that they come up with is going to look different than out here in Wright County. But it's still going to be rooted in, in some very crucial principles. Oh, yeah. Individual autonomy, um, the, the pursuit of individual happiness, the pursuit of my values. I want my kid to be educated. Why isn't he being? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we can foster that and, and allow it and not demand that they come, they just convert to our worldview, but that they actually act as a, um, insurgency against the dominance of the Democrats in the inner city, that's going to have a, that that's going to have an electoral impact mm-hmm. statewide. Mm-hmm. It absolutely will. Um, and it's going to be good for them, and it's going to be good for their community, and it's going to catch fire. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. You got anything else? Uh, we're at an hour and 21 minutes. Yeah, we should probably wrap it up yep. for a variety of reasons. Um, I don't oh, do you, <laughs> which half of you is going to, if so, if St. Paul passes the reparations? <laughs> Are you, does well, that guess... mean you, will you get 50 cents of every dollar? Will your children get a quarter of every well, dollar? I imagine with me, because I'm half and half, you just wash your hands of it and say it's settled, right? Like, I I just give myself my own money. That's, I suppose. Your white half gives your black half right. 50 cents. And... Yeah. So I end up where I started. <laughs> I'm in this nice little vortex. Eye of the storm. I'm at the eye of the reparation storm, as it were. Do you know anything more of that? Uh, I mean, I've just, no. I heard it brought up on Garage Logic that they were seriously considering that. No, case. I remember hearing hearing them talking about that in the past obviously it's extremely patronizing garbage so that's an example of there's a couple things we can look to we can look to that at the state level we can look to governor walls going around um suddenly pitching his walls checks mm-hmm. um, he, he supposedly wants to give back half yeah. of the budget surplus yeah. in the form of a check and then nationally you go look at joe biden who's pitching a gas tax holiday um as a pat on the head for for inflation and in, all of these things have the same thing in common. They are condescending, patronizing non-solutions. They are pats on the head that are meant to make you feel good just long enough to get to the election. Mm-hmm. They are not solutions to problems. By contrast, what we are offering in the Republican Party is hope. Now, I know Obama ruined that word for a lot of us. Hope but, change. But, but, but it means something. And it... it is generated from something specific. Hope, hope is what you get when you're drowning and somebody tosses you a rope. Okay, <laughs> the the rope doesn't pick you up and get you out of the water. The rope provides you with the means to get yourself out mm-hmm. of the water. Mm-hmm. Right. The the That's the uh, <laughs> the life jacket, the life preserver, whatever it is. It's an aid that still requires you. 
to do something. Mm-hmm. And when you get it, that feeling of going from the panic of I'm going to die to, oh my God, I might actually get through this, that's hope. Mm-hmm. Okay, And that's what we offer as Republicans. Because what we're going to tell people is we're going to we're going to do things like cut your taxes, all right, to provide you with an environment, not just a one-time gimme, but an ongoing environment in which you can pursue your happiness. Okay, we're going to provide you with 100% control of your education dollar, which again is not a one-time gimme. It's you will be able to shape the education of your children now and forever in order to pursue happiness, in order to aspire towards something. That's the contrast. And it, if we lose with that contrast in value of what we're offering versus what they're offering, and the left knows this, which is why, what are their tools against us? Their tools against us are censorship, malicious prosecution for things like January 6th, mm-hmm. um, and cheating. Okay, Secretary of State Steve Simon uh, conspiring with a friendly legal group run by Mark Elias, who is a, a known Democratic operative who's engaged in dirty tricks around the country, conspiring with him to have himself sued so that he could then settle with what's called a consent decree that had the effect of circumventing written, established, past Minnesota state election law. Okay, so... Minnesota election law says you can't have ballot harvesting. You can't have ballot drop boxes. You can't have um, all of these loosened controls on the electoral process that make it completely unaccountable and insecure. But Steve Simon wants all of that because he wants to cheat, right? And so what does he do? He goes around the law with a, by the way, passed by a, a judge, a Democrat judge who used to be an operative for Amy Klobuchar. Hmm. Okay, so the whole thing's entirely partisan, entirely corrupt. That's what they have to do. They have to cheat, they have to silence, and they have to persecute. Those are their tools. Why? Because they don't have an argument and they don't have value. They have nothing that they can present that is of actual, substantive, lasting value. They have gimmicks, debauchery, and corruption. And so the the good news is, is that when those are your tools, you have to work so much harder. It's very hard. Have you ever tried to keep out the light in a space? (laughs) Right? It's it's very hard to keep the light out of a space. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to shed it into a space. And that's the position that we find ourselves in as Republicans and as conservatives. All we have to do is turn the light on. And we do that by telling the truth. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Yep. Well, as uh, another favorite, I believe conservative, although he can't go and say it because, you know, who knows what will happen to him. Mike Rowe will always end his podcast on this is a looks like a good place to land the plane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, there we go. Uh, an hour and twenty-seven minutes with Walter Hudson. Um, oh, give a give a website. I was going to say. There you go. I'd, I'd be absolutely remiss if I didn't take the <laughs> opportunity to send people to HudsonForMN.com. That's Hudson for MN 
Com. I am running for state representative. I do need your help. You know, I don't look for for me as a first time candidate. One of the things that you have to get over is the the hesitancy to ask for help and the hesitancy specifically to ask for money. The fact of the matter is, I've got something on offer, and I just told you what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, this I'm, this is not me asking for a handout. This is a value proposition. You support my campaign, you get what I've been talking about in terms of advocacy down in St. Paul. And so HudsonForMN.com, help us out. We need to get lawn signs. I'm a first-time candidate, so I need all my lawn signs. I need all my rebar. I need all my everything that I don't have because I haven't run before. So I appreciate your assistance. Absolutely. We will do anything we possibly can to help. Um, I think that's going to do it today on this uh, rainy Saturday that I hope gets sunnier but uh that is it keep it logical keep it right right county rock and roll